Nellie Bly, known for her book, Ten Days in a Madhouse, was born in 1864, just outside of Pittsburgh. She would become a true suffragette and leader in women's voices. Nellie grew up living a typical life of domestic womanhood, like many in those days, but she had a voice that needed to be heard. She wrote to the Pittsburgh Dispatch, going against an article that said the only purpose for women was to clean house and take care of children, and that they had no business working outside the home. In her letter, she evoked a woman's God-given abilities to work and do other jobs well, despite what society thought. Her passionate rebuke landed her a job with the Dispatch for $5 a week. But women weren't respected in journalism. Women were allowed to write about food, gardening, household topics, and fashion. But Nellie wanted to be a real journalist. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. A soft sob came from the woman's cell next to me, the faint echo of bathwater splashing, and arguing voices came from beyond. I buried my head in my pillow, trying to drown everything out. I couldn't stand the noise any longer. What had I gotten myself into? The sharp slap of heels on tile headed my way. I sat up straight and pressed my head to the block wall. Was it my turn already? The steps stopped just shy of my room. The heavy iron hinges on the metal door screeched as they do when they're opened. What are you crying about? The nurse said, her voice still shrill, despite the wall separating me and my neighbor. I've done nothing wrong. I shouldn't be here. The woman said, then sniffled. That's what they all say, but no one lands themselves in here without good reason, the nurse argued. Good reason? The woman asked, her voice wavering. All I did was grow old. She began to sob again. Then the sound of the nurse's heels click-clacked against the floor. I heard a whack, followed by a scream which made me jolt out of bed. The nurse slammed the door, then made her way to mine. Her dark silhouette stood ominously in the doorway for a moment, before she took me by the arm and led me down the long, gloomy corridor. My eyes met the older woman's through her door's window when we passed. The nurse, a woman in her early forties, I would guess, stood with me as we waited for the previous patient to leave the bathroom. She smothered the wrinkles out of her dress and straightened her nurse's cap as we waited 
without ever making eye contact with me. My bare feet grew cold on the stone floor, and I shivered. My gown offered little in the way of warmth. I dreaded this time every day. The patient stumbled out, her hair soaked, skin still shining with moisture, and lips nearly purple. Her gown clung to her wet skin beneath, the lines of her ribs and knees poking through. Another nurse's fingers dug into the tender part of her arm as she dragged her down the hall toward her room. Get on with it, the nurse attending me spat. We don't have all night. I'd been here long enough to know the routine. I stripped myself down, knowing that it was either that or they'd do it for me. Stepping into the bathwater, I cringed at the sight. The water was gray. The dust from other patients' bare feet had soiled it. When I splashed into the dirty water, I noticed that a tiny leaf floated on top, its stem reaching up like a small sail in a raging sea. I hurried through the bath, wanting nothing more than to get it over with. The nurse handed me a wet towel to dry with. In my mind, I cursed the administration and staff. How could they not even provide basic sanitary needs? No clean water, shared towels, and not even clean clothes for many days at a time. It was clear that the safety and health of their patients was not high on their priorities. My wet feet slapped the stone floor as I shivered back to my room. Still damp, I slid into the blanket and shook until I fell asleep. My tea grew cold at my desk as I thought back to what I'd experienced only a week earlier. I was the lucky one, having escaped the torture, but all those left behind, their sad and lonely faces, still haunted me. Slowly, I worked my hands across the typewriter, pouring out those memories, those stories of the women I met there on the crisp white page. I wrote as if their lives depended on what I said, because I knew they did. Conditions must improve, and women shouldn't be allowed to be committed for so little reasons. My hand shook as I held the article out to my editor, his eyes nearly hidden under thick brows and wide-rimmed spectacles peered back at me, half-suspicious. So, you've gone and done it, have you? He asked, sitting back in his chair, refusing to take the papers, so I placed them on the desk. Was there ever any doubt that I'd complete the task you hired me for? I swallowed and stood a little taller. To make it in a man's world, one must channel their confidence, I'd learned. He laughed a little, then began reading the article. I hated this part, so I excused myself. What would happen after would be nothing short of a miracle. The spotlight on Blackwell would change some things, but I never could have dreamed how much ten days in a madhouse would actually change me.
Elizabeth Cochran Seaman, better known as Nellie Bly, was born in 1862 in Cochran, Pennsylvania. Her family owned the town's mill, but after her father died when she was only six years old, her mother could no longer maintain the estate. Her mother did remarry, but that husband was abusive, so the family was left to fend for themselves once again. Nellie attended Indiana Teachers College, but because of the family's financial struggle, she wasn't able to complete her studies there. Elizabeth began working under the pseudonym Nellie Bly and gained notoriety in the 1890s. According to her biography, she began her career in 1864 at the tender age of 18 as a journalist for a newspaper. Her early work focused on the lives of working women in factories. She later was assigned to write about fashion, gardening, and other household duties attributed only to women at the time. Feeling impatient and feeling confident in her abilities to provide the world with true journalism from a woman's perspective, she went to New York. She began working for the New York World in 1887. She planned to write about the immigrant experience in the United States, but she instead was offered a chance to go undercover in an insane asylum. You see, there had been reports on Blackwell Island, home to an insane asylum, that women were being horribly abused. People wanted to know more, but it was seemingly impossible to get straight answers about the actual happenings there. The truth was being swept under the rug, it seemed. Accepting this bold challenge made Bly one of the most famous female journalists of all time. But let's talk about Blackwell Island for a bit. In the 1800s, Blackwell Island served as a place for incurables, prisoners, and a smallpox hospital. The insane asylum was built in 1839. The male patients were moved to kinder hospitals, while the women patients of the asylum suffered from overcrowding and horrendous conditions like being fed spoiled food. In the early 1900s, the last of the patients were moved to other hospitals, and in 1973, the island was renamed Roosevelt Island. Many of the buildings are in disrepair, but are still landmarks today. After receiving her assignment, Nellie then planned her journey to the asylum. She decided she was going to stay at a women's shelter and began to dress and act strangely in order to get people's attention. She made herself stay awake for days at a time to make herself look and feel her worst. After scaring people there and refusing to sleep, she was sent to the courts where doctors asked her a series of questions. When she didn't answer them in a typical way, the decision to send her for further examination 
was made. At the time, it wasn't difficult for women to be committed. Anything from depression to PMS could land a woman in an asylum. Women were particularly vulnerable to this horrific imprisonment. But this wasn't the case for Nellie Bly. The judge remarkably decided to send her to Bellevue Hospital for observation only. While there, she wasn't getting much food and was not treated well. She was already being abused before even getting into the asylum. At only 23 years old, one thing was clear to Nellie. If she could get herself inside the insane asylum, she'd land the job of her dreams while attaining what she wanted more than anything, to become a real female voice in journalism. Once inside, she didn't put on an act, because many of the women didn't act mad at all. She acted normal, hoping the doctors would notice, so their attentiveness, or lack thereof, could be noted. The doctors and nurses didn't care that she seemed completely normal. She was treated like everyone else. One woman, Anne Neville, that she met there claimed that she was a maid, but once she became sick from overwork, she was sent to the asylum. She felt hopeless, knowing that no one was ever going to help. Do you know that only insane people are sent to this pavilion? I asked. Yes, I know. But I'm unable to do anything. The doctors refuse to listen to me, and it is useless to say anything to the nurses. The women were cold, poorly clothed, and fed. She was refused sleep and was submitted to repeated observations and interrogations. The food was often spoiled and unsuitable for eating. They were forced to take cold baths. It's reported that they'd even used the same water and towel for every person on the floor. It became apparent every one of the women she'd met there would die in this torture. Nellie said she'd seen nurses beat patients, drug them to put them to sleep, and yank their hair out of their heads. They'd taunt the women, smacking them if they ever got out of line. The women were even disciplined for crying. All of this caused Nellie to lose faith in doctors, understandably so. My teeth chattered and my limbs were goose-fleshed and blue with cold. Suddenly I got, one after the other, three buckets of water over my head, ice-cold water too, into my eyes, my ears, my nose, and my mouth. I think I experienced the sensation of a drowning person as they dragged me, gasping, shivering, and quaking from the tub. For once, I did look insane. She later wrote how women were forced to sit in uncomfortable straight-back benches for hours on end, all day. She described it as a human rat trap, easy to get in, But once there, it was impossible to get out. After ten days, a lawyer from the New York world got her released, but the others were not so lucky. She felt that the treatment she received there would have made any sane woman lose her mind. 
What accepting torture would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? Take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up, and make her sit from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. on straight back benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. After leaving, she began documenting every aspect of her experience in a sensational expose on the inside happenings of the insane asylum. Her one goal, evoke the hearts of readers to do something about it. In this, she further developed a style of journalism that would eventually be called stunt journalism. Her articles rose to the top of the journalistic society. She took all of this to court and demanded help for the patients. Jurors were taken there, but Blackwell Island had cleaned up things a bit since the release of her articles. The city gave them a large sum of money to turn things around, and several of the staff were fired, despite claiming that what Nellie wrote was a lie. Her experience in the mental institution was just the beginning, though. Over the years, she became many characters to expose all sorts of social injustices. At one point, she covered a story every week, therefore giving historians lots to draw from. She was, at heart, a storyteller. And some people didn't appreciate the stretched truths that were inevitable in stunt journalism. She thought they were justified in order to help people in the end. In 1889, she even went on a journey around the world in 72 days with only one dress and no trunk. Most rebelliously for the time, she didn't have a male accompany her. She wrote about her travels, but found herself bored. People began to cast ballots on when she'd arrive where, trying to guess the exact date, time, and location of her travels. She'd become somewhat of a living legend, Her stunts became the story, sometimes overshadowing whatever she was covering. She believed herself, Nellie Bly, as a fictional character. She did impossible things, and people took notice. In the end, she had changed the nation's view of women, madness, and journalism. In 1895, Nellie married Robert Seaman, a millionaire, and retired from journalism. He died in 1903. Having been left with his manufacturing company, her grit and determination once again surfaced, and she flourished. She went on to patent many inventions in oil manufacturing, many of which are still used today. It wasn't until her late years that Nellie returned to journalism covering a topic very dear to her heart, women's suffrage. She also covered World War I. Nellie Bly died from pneumonia on January 27, 1922. She was only 57 
years old. If you're interested in learning more about insane asylums, be sure to listen to the St. Albans episode. Much like the Blackwell Islands Asylum, St. Albans Sanatorium in episode 20 has a haunted past. It's difficult to look back on history and see how people were treated with mental illness. It's equally tough to imagine a time when people, most especially women, were locked away who weren't suffering from illness at all. But it's stories like Nellie's that encourage us to continue to fight the injustices in the world. Never underestimate a determined and compassionate woman. Fabled was produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. Fabled is made possible by generous listeners. If you'd like to become a patron, visit the show notes or fablecollective.com. As always, thank you for listening. <laughs>